be able to praise and worship our living and active God. Well, a number of years ago, um, I turned 40. And for whatever reason, when you turn 40, you seem to get a little bit of a shock. For me, it was a realisation that I was moving from the so-called younger generation now into midlife. And I guess that's why they call it midlife crisis. And it got me thinking and around this idea of legacy. What do you want to be remembered for? Legacy. Uh, many years ago when I was in uh, youth group, and uh, I see that we've got a, a few people here from Rehoboth uh, this morning, but around that age when I was at school, our youth group leaders uh, took us to a place in Fremantle at the cemetery there and got us to walk around and have a look at all the different gravestones that were there. And we, we were encouraged to read what was inscribed on those tombstones. And so as we walked around and had a look, uh, the only information we had was what was written. And our youth group leaders got us to think about the people that were beneath and uh, who had long gone and also challenged us to think about our own life and our relationship with Jesus. And as a teenager, you would wonder, well, there was different statements that were written, and one of them was mission complete. Hmm. Kind of wondered to myself as a young guy, who was this guy? <laughs> mission complete. Was he an SAS spy? Did he uh, live some sort of amazing life? Or did he quite simply just die of old age? Well, here is the thing for all of us. Uh, years after you die, people will be in a conversation at the workplace or maybe at the church or the office or wherever it may be, and they'll bring up your name in conversation. And after a pause, someone will actually ask about you and there will be a response. But the response will probably only be a couple of words as they reflect on your life. Might be even only one sentence. The entirety of your life described in one sentence. You'll be thinking you deserve a paragraph, maybe even a chapter in a book. But the reality is, you will probably only be remembered by a few words. So here's my question to us this morning. What will your life sentence be? What do you want your phrase to be, so to speak, on your tombstone? It's a good question to ask ourselves. And it's a question that Paul is going to actually answer for us as we look at this book, uh, at least chapter 1, uh, this morning. It kind of begs the question, are you actively choosing your life sentence, or do you kind of think it just pops out of nowhere? So as uh, was read to us uh, by Pastor Paul, I encourage you to open your Bibles, have a look, and we're going to be particularly focusing on verse 28. And just a little bit of context uh, for the book of uh, Colossians, uh, Paul is writing here and he's writing to a group of people and uh, these people are being tempted by other leaders, by other preachers to move away from the true gospel that Paul had actually imparted to them. And they were being tempted to, if you like, become more spiritual. If, if you just follow these particular things, you will have more spirituality, you will have more blessing uh, in your life. And so Paul is writing this letter to them and he's reminding them that in fact you have everything now in Christ in that gospel that you first heard therefore live in the light of that 
So let's uh, read once again verse 28 of chapter 1, where it says, and I'm reading from the ESV, uh, so it's a little bit different, but very similar to what we read previously. We proclaim him admonishing every man or every person and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. So notice the words there that are in the middle of that sentence where it says, so that. Whenever you see those words, that's been translated from the original language, literally means, uh, here's why, for this purpose. And Paul says, we proclaim him, we preach the gospel, but here's why we preach him. And Paul begins to unpack the mission, the mission, in fact, that you and I should also have. Paul here is reminding us that, in fact, there is a finish line, there is a goal, there is something that, in fact, we should be aiming for, and now he begins to unpack that. There is a reason that we actually teach and preach and proclaim the gospel. And guess what? It's much more than just having buildings. It's much more than just having conferences. It's much more uh, than having uh, different books and programs and just having attendance here on a Sunday. It isn't just proclaiming the gospel for the gospel's sake. There is more to it. And Paul is highlighting this for us. He says, we, um, we proclaim him. We preach the gospel. We preach Jesus so that why? We can present every person complete in Christ. Now that sounds good, doesn't it? Presenting everyone complete in Christ. But what does that actually mean? It raises a question. What does it mean to be complete in Christ? Well, the word complete is quite literally, it means finished. It means to also be fully grown. It's been translated to that in some uh, different Bible translations. And the translation that was read to us previously was so that we could be what? Mature in Christ. So our mission is not just to proclaim the gospel and to get ticks in the context in which we're working in Africa, and I'm sure Pastor Paul can testify this. Many people put up their hand and say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. They've been to some level of crusade at some level. <laughs> and if all we're thinking about is that is just the tick that we have to get, then I'm not sure that is exactly what Paul is talking about here when he's talking about people coming into maturity. But if you're like me, you might be wondering, well, what does it actually mean to be mature? What does it mean to be mature? You look over your Christian life like I do, and you often find it hard just to pinpoint particular growth areas in your life. It seems to be at times a very, very slow process, doesn't it? I've been to the conferences, I've been to the camps, I've listened to the podcasts, I've read the books, and yet I still find it hard to pray. I'm standing up here and for whatever reason, a silly reason, sometimes missionaries are given superstar status, <laughs> but we aren't. Every time I'm standing there in front of Muslims communicating the gospel, I'm shaking in my boots. You see, so often we just want the quick kind of transformation, don't we? We want the quick solution to look for the shortcuts for instant transformation to become mature. Our world always wants quick transformation. You buy this product and within two weeks this happens. You're fat, 
you take this product, you're skinny. <laughs> you have no hair, buy this product, put it on, and two weeks you'll get hair. It doesn't work. So often we just want the quick transformation. Let me give you an example of that, and some of you may have heard this illustration before, but I'm going to put a bit of an African twist on it. There were some Africans who lived in mud huts, and they'd never been to the big city before. They had never gone into a hotel. They lived in the sticks. They had a mud floor. And for whatever reason, they had to actually go into town, and they had to stay in one of these hotels. And they were a bit nervous. They'd never been in a hotel before. And so they walk in through the doors, and they look around, and they can see all the glitz and all the glamour, and it looks beautiful. It's clean. And uh, as they're there with their family, they see an elderly lady with a walking stick and she's moving over to one of these beautiful mirrors and these mirrors actually open and she hobbles in to this box, which you and I know is a lift. The doors close. She disappears. They're looking at each other going, this is just strange. This is weird. All of a sudden, the doors open back up again and out walks a beautiful woman. They go, quick, go get your mother. <laughs> Transformation. We want it quick, don't we? We want it right now. And the temptation is so often, not even in our own backyard, but particularly in developing nations, they want quick transformation. They want to get a blessing from the pastor because somehow the pastor is this connection. He's a man of God and therefore he has a little bit of power. He's basically a witch doctor and if you give the pastor some money, then you're going to get a quick blessing. We do it in other ways in the West, but we want quick transformation. And what Paul here is saying, he is convincing the Colossians as he is to us this morning that you actually have everything now in Christ and into eternity in the gospel in which you first heard. Do not be tempted to look for other quick fixes. As I even look at my generation, I have seen so many times young men and young women, they just bounce around from different churches trying to get a quick spiritual fix and then they work out that it doesn't work and they end up moving out of Christianity altogether. See, friends, we need to see what Paul is communicating to us here and he's encouraging us and helping us think about what it means to be mature in Christ. But it raises a question, what does it actually mean to be mature with Jesus in your walk with him? What is this idea around maturity? Because if you talk about the idea of maturity, particularly even in a church, if we did a survey here this morning, we would probably get a whole heap of different answers. We'd get a bunch of different responses. Some would say, well, what he's actually referring to is how long someone's actually been a Christian. Okay, that is such a mature person. They are such a mature Christian because they have been a follower of Jesus for some 20, 30, 40, 50 years of their life. And the reality is I know some people have been saved 30 days and they are more mature than someone who has been a Christian for 30 years. 
So that is not what Paul is talking about here when he's talking about maturity. The simple length of time is not what he's pushing in on here. Some of you might respond, well, that is a mature Christian is someone who knows all their Bible doctrine. They are able to you know, answer all the different questions that you might have when it comes to the Bible. Well, I know some people that have got it all up here, but they're not living it out. I don't think that is what Paul is talking about here. Simple Knowing simply what Bible doctrine is is not what Paul is talking about here when he talks about being complete in Christ. Others might define maturity as, oh, they're such a mature Christian, they're always here on Sunday, they're always here to help early in the morning. They're always helping out in the life of the church. Well, have you ever stopped to think, why are they helping out? Maybe they don't have anything better to do. So when he's talking about maturity here, it's not just in service either. So let me give you a def definition this morning that I hope will bring some clarity to what Paul is communicating here when he is talking to us about maturity. Maturity is to become what you already are in Christ. Become who you already are in Christ. We are complete in him. So we need to recognize and become who we already are in Jesus. And how do we do that? Well, I love how this book, Colossians, does it. Paul, and it's obviously God ultimately, but he's so smart. What he does in the, in the first two chapters, he does this before and after, time and time again. If you read these two chapters, you will see Paul say, you were like this, but now because of Christ, you are like this. There is this snapshot of before and after. So in verse 21, if you've got your Bibles, you can have a look there. Paul says, you were alienated, you were hostile, you were doing evil deeds. <laughs> Just like you and I. Now, because of Christ, there is love, verse 4. You were like this, and now you're like this. So become who you already are. Become what you already are. See, the reality for the Christian is to grow into who you already are. You think about kings and queens. Now, the monarchy is not doing too well at the moment. The British monarchy is not doing too well, is it? But if you have a king and a queen and they have a child, ever since the, that, that child comes into the world, from the time that they can actually sit up, everything that they are taught and trained is in preparation for what they're going to inherit. The same is exactly true for you and I. As followers of Jesus, we are to grow into the inheritance which is ours in Christ. We are complete in Christ. Now grow into that. Become what you already are. Uh, many of us here in this room, as I look around, can see that uh, we've had children. And uh, if you think about uh, children, uh, when my kids were... Well, one wasn't even born yet, but my oldest uh, son, Caden, and his mother, Talitha, would uh, sit down every week while Jaken uh, was growing in mummy. And they would get an email, and uh, the email would sort of show the development that was taking place. And so uh, just very quickly, what I want us to do uh, this morning is I want us to think in the spiritual context, but I want to use a physical kind of description of the life kind of cycle. But think about this in the spiritual context. Now, this is going to be simple, okay? Not rocket science. Uh, 
no offense to some of the guys over here, but I also went to Rehoboth. Um, okay, inside joke didn't go down well. Um, maybe they're very proud of Rehoboth. Uh, anyway, first thing is this. We need to be born. I told you it wasn't going to be complicated. Um, first part is we need to be born. Part of the mission is to see people born again, isn't it? One of the really important parts of us as, being, as followers of Jesus is we want to see people come into the kingdom through the power of the gospel. So part of the mission is for us to communicate the gospel to others. I hear it all the time. I say, Craig, you're off in Africa and you're converting people to become followers of Jesus. Well, yes, but no. Yes, but no. Why? Because that is not the end of the mission. It is simply the beginning. Correct? When somebody is born again, if all we are focused on is seeing that person being born again into a relationship with God, and all we focus on is sharing the gospel and seeing lost people come into, uh, into the kingdom and being saved, then I think we've actually missed a major emphasis of what Paul is actually talking about. You think about parenting. Parenting does not end with the birth, does it? You don't go into hospital and the baby comes out and go, oh, gee, great, fantastic. That is over and done with. No, you look at that baby. Well, I don't, but anyway. Um, <laughs> you look at the baby and you go, right there is the next 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years of my life. You see, the birth is the beginning of that maturing process, but it's only the beginning. As followers of Jesus, we need to understand the totality of the mission of the gospel. Uh, the guy that is coming uh, next week to talk, Don West, uh, I went to the same college where he's the principal, and uh, he said so clearly in one of our classes, um, evangelism is ongoing. It is a process. Maturity is a process. And sadly, so often, we just have this mentality that if we just keep people born again, that is the tick, that's it, hands done, walk away. I'm sure I'm not telling you anything new this morning, but it's good to be reminded of that, isn't it? The second stage is development. Some people come to Christ, and for whatever reason, they seem to be on spiritual steroids. Um, some of you, like myself, have been saved for a long time and the process seems to be quite slow. But the reality is when we actually come into a personal relationship with Jesus and there is this intimacy that takes place and we start walking with him personally, well, we see very, very clearly that it is so important to see other people come into the kingdom and so we have a passion to communicate the gospel and to see people develop into maturity. That is why there in verse 28, he uses two words, very important words. The first word is admonish. The second is teach. The word admonish quite literally means to place in the mind. Gently challenging somebody to be who Christ wants them to be. This is the whole idea of life-on-life life kind of discipleship stuff. This is putting your arm around somebody and saying, hey, I see this in your life. This is what the scriptures say. Let's, let's look at it together and let's challenge one another. 
It's a very relational word that is being used here by Paul. And then he uses the word teach. It is also a relational word, but it suggests that there is, in fact, there is time to be investing in one another. And that can happen at a one-on-one -on -one level, and that can also happen at a one in a, towards a, a small group. This idea of teaching, of imparting. This whole idea that you guys have been talking about for the last couple of weeks of making disciples. Helping people become mature in Christ. This is life on life discipleship. And then the third thing is, the third stage is reproduction. You see, through an intimate relationship with Jesus, there is this growing likeness. Disciples begin to develop a burden of what Christ has done for their lives and for other people. And here's what happens. When we're born again into relationship, then we begin to learn to abide in Jesus. And then from there, there is reproduction as we begin to cultivate a burden to see other people come into a relationship with Jesus. Have you ever stopped and thought, what is the purpose of my Christian life? If someone turned to you and said, what is the purpose of your Christian life? I love how Paul answers this. Have a look there at verse 10. Verse 10 says, this is our purpose, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You see, there is actually a purpose to our Christian life. Worthy of him. Maturity. Maturity is living as kingdom citizens. Paul says, live a life that is worthy to what? Worthy of the Lord. He uses the word Lord here. He doesn't use the generic word God. He wants us to really understand that Jesus is our boss. He is our king. He is our Lord. So therefore, live in a way that honors him. And let us not confuse obedience with legalism. Sometimes, uh, particularly those of us who are from a more conservative, reformed kind of framework, we kind of get scared about this idea of obedience because it might actually turn into some form of legalism. Remember, we have been saved to serve. You see, what we believe actually affects our behavior. Our right belief in who Jesus is should actually result in what? In good works. We should be growing in our maturity, become who we already are. But we often have this thought that somehow if we follow Jesus, our obedience might actually turn into legalism. Therefore, we're fearful to do anything. So a good question to ask ourselves is this. How do we use our time, our resources, our skills, our abilities for the good of the gospel? How do I let the Holy Spirit work in and through me for my good and his glory? And in the light of missions, and uh, I guess as a missionary, I just want to kind of press in on us a little bit here this morning. If the mission before us is to see people mature in Christ, and it says all mature in Christ, then why is there so much apathy towards mission? You know, Talitha and I, we travel from church to church when we're back here on home assignments. And so often at the end of it, we look at each other and we go, oh, why does there seem to be so much apathy towards mission? 
in the churches in Western Australia. If our goal is to see people mature in Christ, and part of that mission is actually sending people out to be involved in that, why is it so hard for us to be sent? Something for us to consider even this morning. I love what Paul says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 because he makes it so clear that God has actually entrusted to us as followers of Jesus the mission that he is talking about. He says that we are in fact his ambassadors. We are God's ambassadors. And if Paul's desire is to see all people mature in Christ, which is ultimately God's desire, then and we're moving towards becoming who we already are, then you and I actually have a responsibility to be his ambassadors. Listen to what it says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 to 20. Verse 18, all of this is from God who reconciled to, uh, us to himself through Christ and gave us, that's you and I as followers of Jesus, the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. The word implore there is actually the word beg. He is begging us on you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. Here's the reality. Many of us will probably never ever go overseas to live Many of us will never ever learn another language and live in a cross-cultural setting, but that does not mean that God has not called us to be involved in making disciples. Remember, the whole idea is making all people mature in Christ, and that includes the nations. You and I have been entrusted with the greatest message of all time. The greatest message that this world has ever known. And yet the reality is you and I have so often failed to steward it in a way in which we should have. A guy by the name of David Platt. Some of you may have heard of him. Uh, he's a Baptist pastor out of America. And he's written a book called Radical. And he is reflecting uh, on the last day and he, as he writes some of this book. And I'm going to close uh, with this uh, this morning as we think about this together. He says this, thinking about that last day, he says, we will not wish we had made more money, acquired more stuff, lived more comfortably, taken more vacations, watched more television, pursued greater retirement, or even been more successful in the eyes of the world. Instead, we will wish we had given more of ourselves, living for the day when every nation, tribe, tongue, people, and language will bow around the throne and sing praises of the Saviour who delights in radical obedience and a God who deserves eternal worship. Great words, aren't they? And that's why one of the things that I hope you are realising is one of the things that I know I am realising, we need the gospel just as much as the nations need the gospel because the gospel is what shapes us. It is what challenges us. It is what encourages us. Listen to how the gospel shaped a guy by the name of Adamira Judson. You may have heard of him. He was one of the first missionaries to Burma. And he writes a letter, in fact, to his future father-in-law. He writes a letter, and as he writes this letter, he 
he's kind of hoping that he gets permission to have the daughter's hand in marriage. Now, if you've got any daughters and you get this letter, <laughs> it'd be interesting to know what you would actually say. This is what he writes. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world, whether you can consent to her departure and her uh, subjection to the hardships and the sufferings of a missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the climate of Burma, to every kind of want and distress, to poverty, to insult, persecution, and perhaps even a violent and bloody death. Can you consent to all of this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God the Father? It's a great letter, isn't it? Adamiah Judson writes to Nancy Heseltine's father and says, will you give me your daughter's hand in marriage? And he says yes. They're married, they go to the mission field, they have three children, and sadly, every single one of those children die on the mission field, and so does Nancy Heseltine. Adamiah Judson, one of the first missionaries to this particular part of the world, writes these words, and you might be sitting there this morning going, that's irrelevant. That happened 100, 200 years ago. And yes, it did happen 100, 200 years ago. But the reality is there are people in heaven today who came to hear the gospel because these guys saw that the importance of taking God's word to the nations and helping people become mature in Christ. At the time of his death, there were over 7,000 Christians in Burma along with 60 60 plus churches his influence was felt far and wide and the history books state that johnson sorry judson's greatest legacy was his desire to see all people mature in christ this is what i find fascinating while in america when they were back on home assignment someone actually started to complain that judson didn't tell more thrilling stories of adventure and intrigue, and in reply, listen to what Judson says. I love it. He says, I am glad to say that I had no better thing to do than to tell the wondrous story of Jesus' dying love and the need to disciple the believers. Great words, aren't they? In the light of 1 Colossians, Christ has given us everything in Christ. Everything. We have everything in eternity. We have redemption, we have forgiveness, we have holiness, we have perfection, and we need to pray that God will help us live that out now in the light of what Christ has done for us. That is what it means to be complete in Christ. It is actually producing good fruit. Have a look at how Paul unfolds this as I close. He says here in verse 6 that there is producing fruit in every good work. Growing in our knowledge of God, verse 10. Showing endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks, verse 11. If we live like that, we will be mature. We will see transformation in the life of the believer. And notice who this is for. It's for all. See, Paul is absolutely and utterly convinced that it's worth suffering for. It's worth judging everything, whether good or bad, not by its effect on him, but by its effect on the gospel. Why? Because he says here in verse 28 that there is in fact suffering that is going to take place. 
And he has set himself the goal of bringing the gospel to all people with God's truth to all people. And the reality is God is the one that is powerfully working through. We asked a question at the beginning, what will your life sentence be? What will my life sentence be? Wouldn't a true and great statement at the conclusion of our earthly life be mature in Christ? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we have your word, we have your truth. We thank you for the ability uh, to be able to read it this morning and to focus on it. But Lord, most of all, we want to say thank you for you sending your son, Jesus. And Lord, because of him, we do have true purpose. We have true meaning. Lord, we ask that you will graciously use us to be your ambassadors. Lord, help us to speak the truth of the gospel, may we witness it to those that are around us. Lord, we do desire that all people become mature in Christ. And for those of us here this morning, help us realize and recognize that in fact we have everything in the work and the person of Jesus. Lord, remind us that maturity is becoming who we already are in Jesus, in Christ. Lord, as we move away from here today into our, our life, wherever that may be, Lord, may you help us and encourage us to live for you, for our good and for your glory. Lord, we don't say this flippantly. We say this because we know that you have saved us. And because of the work on the cross, we have great hope. And we thank you that we can put our faith and our trust in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.